I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to the Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity, left politics. I'm your co-host, Matt Bernico. I'm your other co-host, Dean Deloff. Dean, Matt, <laughs> Matt, I, uh, you know, we we both have something to say, obviously, because uh, I know what we're talking about, and I know you have a lot of thoughts about it. But I did just want to kind of introduce an idea at the top, which is I think that we should change the name of this podcast to the Eight Hundred Club. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's great. It's one more hundred than the one that everyone's heard of. And I think that it really establishes our superiority to that other show. And I think there's a lot of potential to uh, to grow the brand and to dip into the savings of all kinds of um, evangelical people listening at home. That's a great idea. But what if we OK, I know the 800 Club makes a lot of sense for naming purposes. You know, you got the 700 Club. And then we'd be the 800 Club. But what if we skipped 800 altogether and became the 900 Club in honor of the mm. man himself, Anthony Hawk, uh, the guy who did the big 900 right. on a skateboard? Right. St. Anthony Hawk, for sure. Or we could go the other <laughs> direction and we could be uh, the 420 Club. I feel like that might be okay. a closer vibe. Sure. Also fine. No problem. No problem with that one either. Man, what a shame. What a shame that we uh, didn't think of that name when we started the Patreon. <sighs> Dang, we really goofed. We goofed up so yeah, bad because that could have been the up. name of it. Oh my gosh, I would, uh, I would love to invent the time machine, go back and kick myself right in the keister. Okay, listen, if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, I've always wanted to start a Christian podcast about evangelicals, but I've never done what to call it. You can just have that name for free, and I will listen to at least the first episode of it. Yeah, absolutely. Please steal that idea. That's a good one. It's a good one to steal. It, it's you know, it's like. Uh, if you have more than if you more have more than one coat, you're stealing that coat from somebody else. And uh, we have <laughs> yeah, two exactly. great ideas for a podcast. And if we have two, we're stealing it from you. So please take it. <laughs> um, take this this great podcast slash coat from us, folks. We're talking about Pat Robertson today. We got to. There's no other way around it. He died, and we have to tell you about it. And that's uh, we're, we're legally obligated as uh, <laughs> formerly evangelical people to uh, to do our penance and talk about the death of. Uh, of Pat Robertson, a guy who I didn't like very much when he died. And after uh, kind of researching this episode a bit, I like even less. <laughs> so here we are today. Yeah, he's uh, not a good one. Um, but you, you know, his whole brand is trying to convince you that he is a good one. Uh, he died on June 8th. He hosted the 700 Club. He also ran for president in 1988, which I think is extremely funny. Um, he founded an evangelical university called Regent University, and he spent his life trying to organize evangelicals into a political force, and he was actually pretty successful at doing that. And we're going to zero in on a little bit about it, but uh, man, Matt, have you ever watched an episode of the 700 Club? So never on purpose. That's for sure. But like every now and again, I would see one accidentally. Um, here's a wild story. One time in, okay, I had just graduated from high school and I was going to a community college and my mom, <laughs> for whatever reason, like she knew this person at our church who worked at like a, a local uh, 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 Christian broadcasting network like station. <laughs> that, and they, wait, wait so like I, a cable access Christian station? Yeah, but so, yeah, exactly. It was like a local one and they they would like, um, you know, they'd play the 700 Club on that channel and all kinds of other stuff. 
they would also record 700 club type shows, but they're in Spanish. <laughs> and they have like a studio in this like small town, small town in Illinois just for that. Anyway, so she like connected me with this person who did that at our church. And like I had to go there once just to see how it all like worked. Because I guess that she thought that this would be like a great experience for me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it wasn't great. It was fine. Thanks, Mom. I appreciate it um, for sure. Thank you for making me the person I am. Um, but also, <laughs> this was not exactly up my alley. Uh, all that to say, I'm a, I'm a, I'm familiar with the 700 Club. I know I know a bit about it. Clearly, I mean, you've peeked behind the veil. It seems uh, that's some real like Tim and Eric content fodder. I feel like <laughs> oh, um, totally. That's cool. Uh, I also never really watched it on purpose, but I did occasionally catch it on TV. Um, I think they aired it on what channel was it? It was something weird, like something like ABC Family. I think that's actually what it was, because I feel like I remember watching reruns of Whose Line Is It Anyway? And then Pat (laughs) Robertson would be on and he'd be like, (laughs) I don't know, giving you the big headlines of the day. And uh, I've never seen a full episode of it, but I have seen, you know, five minutes of Pat Robertson doing his incredibly bad version of a uh, late night talk show monologue. Totally. Yeah. It's not great. Um, It's not great at all. (laughs) I, I think that like maybe if you've if you've lived most of your life outside of the bubble of evangelical Christianity, um, you might be familiar with some of Pat Robertson's antics. Like, um, he was the guy who blamed Hurricane Katrina, among other things, on, like, LGBTQ people and also, like, the feminist agenda. <laughs> that was a, a wild <laughs> moment in the early 2000s. You also might remember that uh, this is more recent. He called Black Lives Matter protesters anti-Christian. Um, so, you know, he's on he's on his bullshit constantly. Uh, there's also, man, he has so many bonkers takes. And if you kind of start Googling around though, and, and you want to find some of these, uh, these especially spicy ones, you can, um, one time on the 700 club, he decided that it would be a good idea to say that it'd be cool if somebody nuked the state department. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's uh, funny. It's honestly, I feel like the humor, it doesn't come through unless, okay, listen, you got to pause this episode. You need to watch like just a short clip on YouTube of him because he talks just like a very slow old man. And the idea of that guy being like someone should nuke the State Department is so funny. Yeah, yeah. I think so, too. It's it's beyond belief, this guy. Um, he has a, a type of energy that we could only, you know, like we can only hope to bring to this podcast. Um, <laughs> we've never said we should nuke the State Department, though. So um, us, <laughs> radical leftists, and, uh, <laughs> and Pat Robertson, we have, uh, we've, have diverging opinions on this. Um, another time, though, he did also mention that it would. He, he mentioned this like on air, like in a sort of prolonged rant, that it would be a good idea to assassinate Hugo Chavez. Like, <laughs> what are you doing, my guy? It's so crazy that like this is stuff that would get you like uh, you know <laughs> this is stuff that would get you destroyed on uh, on Twitch these days. But this guy was doing it on like a weird cable TV show, and uh, people thought he was a great pastor for it. I think that's. <laughs> <laughs> bad i don't know like what's this guy doing <laughs> every time i read something from him i'm just like what is like what is this like why why are you doing this and uh in the end it's just to uh it's to warp the brains of i don't know evangelical christians and stir the pot and get them really riled up um he had no problem saying some extremely disgusting and hateful things to get evangelicals to do what he wanted them to do and uh i don't know that's his legacy so it's pretty clear Pat Robertson is a reactionary figure on the Christian right, to say the least. Uh, You've probably heard most of the stuff that I've said already, but buckle in because we're about to tell you some stuff about Pat Robertson that you didn't know. That's right. We're doing Pat Facts. Pat Facts. That's right. (laughs) Exactly. It's Pat Facts time. Um, Yeah, we could talk about a lot of things related to Pat Robertson. And in the past, we've done some profiles of evangelicals. Like we had um, our friend uh, Martin Wendell Jones to talk about uh, Jim Baker in the past. Extremely funny, a wild character. Um, You know, Jerry Falwell, he's in the mix. They're all kind of like the same generation of weirdos on TV. Um, But uh, instead of doing a whole profile of Pat Robertson, we want to talk about his particular relationship with a Guatemalan dictator named Efren Rios Montt, who is a kind of like, I don't know, I feel like sort of a B character in the way that we talk about Latin America, like people don't really talk about him much or I don't know, like if you I guess if you're like really invested in Central America, you probably know about him. But I don't know. It took me a long time to know about him. And I feel like a person who tries to think about Latin America a lot. So uh, 
you know, maybe somebody who's just kind of like further and further down in the memory banks. Uh, he was only the president for about a year, um, but also presided over the deadliest period of uh, dictatorship in Guatemala. And Pat Robertson, now that he said, that's the kind of guy that I think uh, God wants in place in that country. So we're going to talk about Pat Robertson's relationship to uh, to Guatemala in particular and kind of what is going on there. Totally. It's uh, it's worth noting here at the top, too. Not only is Efrain Rios Montt a Guatemalan dictator, but he's also an evangelical Guatemalan dictator. That's right, folks. Right. This dictator has been born again. <laughs> 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 it's so absurd. Um, and Pat Robertson? Yeah, exactly. Just like you said, he thought this is the guy I want to hitch my wagon to. And he did. It, it's so wild because it's not even like in the, not, not only was it just in the 80s, like when Pat Robertson was like, maybe maybe he didn't know any better. Maybe, you know, he did something stupid and he just is a dumb idiot. But even in 2015, uh, Pat Robertson was still defending this guy. <laughs> so like long after mm-hmm. the uh, the record was pretty clear that that Rios Mont was like, you know, um, sitting atop a, a throne of human skulls. Pat Robertson was like, all right, fine with me. <laughs> this guy is great. Yeah, you know, uh, it's a good moment to pause. I don't know if I've said this on the podcast in the past or not, but I have this kind of working thing that I'm trying out, trying to see if it works or not, uh, if it fits. This idea that, you know, people who are in power are either evil or stupid, and it's really difficult to figure out which is which. So, for example, Pat Robertson, I feel like a person I cannot make a judgment about. I can't tell if he is just actively evil or, like, profoundly stupid. And, of course, they're not mutually exclusive categories. You can be so stupid that you are evil, or you can be so evil that you are stupid. But, you know, it's kind of like, which one do you privilege? And I feel like, you know, for Pat Robertson to say on the 700 Club in 2015 that Efren Rios Mont is a good dude, it's just like, man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what this guy's doing. Like, it's something yeah. I can't I can't figure out, even with... Uh, the cynical broken brain that I have. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, I agree with you. You know, there are some, we'll talk about these more in a bit, but there's some interesting hypotheses that people have for about uh, exactly why Pat Robertson thinks Rios Mont is like a person he wants to be associated with. And uh, I don't know, it's speculation, but we'll, we'll, we'll get there in a little bit. We'll, we'll talk about Pat Robertson's uh, smooth, smooth brain and um, <laughs> and why maybe this is interesting for him. Um, all right, Dean. So we have we have some of the table setting out here. We've we've put these plates down, but we got to get these knives and forks out on the table. Do you want to say some more about Rios Mont? Give the people the context they need. Yep. I'm getting my salad fork ready right now. Um, so uh, Rios Mont, he's a wild guy. Um, there's a really good book if you want to read uh, more about it. It's called Terror in the Land of the Holy Spirit. It's by Virginia uh, Gerard Burnett or Gerard Burnett. Sorry to Virginia (laughs) for (laughs) pronouncing it wrong, but uh, it's a really good book. And it is all about uh, Rios Mont and Guatemala in general, but really digging into his uh, very gross, violent theology. Um, I read it during my uh, PhD, and it is a very troubling book, but really well done. Um, She also like captures some of the different like religious angles around him. So I thought maybe we could start there. We'll get some stuff about Rios Mont on the table and then we'll talk about Pat Robertson. Cause I feel like to understand why Pat Robertson is so bonkers for supporting this guy, you really got to know the scale of what's going on. So she writes in the book, here's just some basic facts in the beginning. Um, according to two truth commissions, more than 200,000 people died in political violence over the course of the 36 year war in Guatemala the vast majority, upward of 90%, by all accounts, at the hands of security forces, the army, special forces, and civil patrols. Of this grim total, 43% died during Rios Mont's 17 months in office. So, like, that's pretty wild. 36 years of the Civil War, which was between the government, and there were, indeed, there was, like, armed left-wing guerrilla resistance um, during that time. But, uh, I mean, the government, for sure, was, like, the primary source of violence. And uh, for 43% of those murders to have taken place in just under two years, out of that whole 36 years, that's, like, the scale of uh, of, of murder and blood that we're talking about on Rios Montt's hands. Um, in fact, in 2010, uh, he was tried. Rios Montt uh, was tried in Guatemala, and, like, it, it was for genocide, li- literally genocide. Right. So it's, like, I mean... Um, that word is not used in any kind of weak way in the situation. It is literally what happened. Exactly. And it's specifically genocide against indigenous Mayan peoples in Guatemala. Um, 
you might know the story of Rigoberta Menchu. Maybe we'll talk about her again at the end of the episode. She is a, an incredible person, by the way. She's maybe like, if this episode really bums you out learning about Pat Robertson in Guatemala, just spend some time learning about Rigoberta Menchu. You'll feel a lot better. She is a, a Catholic um, indigenous catechist from Guatemala and uh, is an incredible, I don't know, human rights defender and all that kind of stuff. She has a, a really cool story. But anyway, um, she was from that community. So the genocide was against uh, the indigenous peoples in Guatemala. But as you can guess, lots of other poor people as well, um, mostly like violence in, in the countryside. So he's presiding over this incredibly violent um, governmental policy. And there's this theology that goes underneath it as well. So uh, Gerard Burnett says, Rios Ma's civil religious ideal was as precise and comprehensible as the teachings of his evangelical church. Repent, live right, and be saved. But for those who refuse the path of righteousness, the consequences were as inexorable as the horsemen of the apocalypse. So you might be asking yourself, how does somebody who is an evangelical, a born again Christian, end up presiding over such a violent uh, situation, violent government? Or maybe you're not asking yourself that because, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we've got our own versions of that here in the global north. Um, but uh, let me say a little bit about it, because I think actually Rios Montt's particular brand of evangelicalism is probably kind of surprising in some ways um, and, and has some really interesting links to the United States. So let me read a little bit more and then we can break it down here, Matt. So, yeah, she says Rios Montt was converted through contact with lay pastors of the Church of the Word, Iglesia Cristiana Verbo, or simply Verbo, as it was commonly known. Verbo was a mission of a California-based organization called Gospel Outreach, itself the product of the Jesus Freak movement of the early 1970s. Gospel Outreach originated as an experiment in communal living, but it had evolved over the years into a conservative neo-Pentecostal church. The denomination was a small one in the U.S., but after its arrival in Guatemala following the earthquake, there was a, a big earthquake, the church attracted a large following, one of the several new denominations that catered to wealthy people in Guatemala City, to whom its particular variety of Pentecostalism, which stressed morality and the tangible rewards of right living, particularly appealed. Although Verbo continued to maintain some U.S. ties, by the early 80s, the denomination had largely gone native in the sense that the bulk of its leadership, funding, and doctrinal focus was Guatemalan, creating an inverse missionary relationship with the Mother Church back in California. So this is a really wild story. I mean, we've talked also on this podcast before, even recently, about the kind of export of evangelicalism from the U.S. to Latin America and what it does, and it kind of plants these seeds of reactionary counter-revolution and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's more to that story. Like, there are progressive evangelicals. There's kind of a lot going on there. But this kind of transmission, I think, is so fascinating because it comes out of that, like, weird Christian hippie movement, you know? Like, um, we've also talked about on the show, Matt and I both went to this place called Cornerstone Festival in Bushnell, Illinois, which came out of uh, the Jesus Freak movement um, also. So just really interesting. And I don't know about you, Matt, but, like, when I read that, they started out as this kind of communal Jesus freak thing yeah. and then like mutated into a conservative neo-Pentecostal church. I was like, Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about <laughs> for uh -huh. sure. Totally. Yeah. You know, bef uh, before we recorded this, I sent Dean a, uh, an old PBS spot where they were reporting on, um, on Rios Mont in Guatemala. And it's really interesting. Cause I mean, it's from, you know, 1982 and, uh, it's dated and, uh, Interesting though, how even on, even on PBS, the li the liberal PBS, uh, they're still just repeating like <laughs> Reaganite sort of uh, talking points about Latin America and Guatemala. But what's interesting is in this PBS spot, they do have the pastor uh, of of this particular like community uh, that Rios Mont went to. They have pictures of them together, and the pastor is interesting because he is literally that he is like um, American Christian Jesus freak hippie turned like you know, more straight-laced uh, fascist pastor <laughs> in Guatemala. <laughs> and uh, it's interesting because they they interview him on this PBS thing, and he's just like, yeah, Rios Mont, he's a really upstanding guy. He has a lot of integrity. He keeps, you know, emphasizing that. And it's just like, okay, but mean, but meanwhile, if you actually asked, uh, you know, the indigenous people of Guatemala, like, what's going on, um, you would hear a very different story. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's interesting, too, because Rios Montt had this history in the military, and he would often talk about, too, like his conversion experience. And, you know, he was part of a, a right wing kind of military apparatus. And 
he came to be president as a result of a, a coup that he led. And that coup also was kind of tied up in this conversion narrative where it was Rios Montt's kind of uh, divinely mandated duty to bring Guatemala back to God. Um, and that really permeates his presidency. So a little bit more from this book, um, the author writes, one of Rios Montt's first acts as president was to evoke his church's teachings that in a multitude of counselors, there's safety by appointing two fellow parishioners from Verba to specially created ad hoc positions as secretary to the private affairs of the president and secretary of the president of the republic. He referred to these advisors as my conscience, thereby setting off alarms within the army that members of Verbo might co-opt military influence. Indeed, it was supposedly exactly these concerns that church advisors un un enjoyed undue sway over Rios Montt that led the army high command to eventually oust Rios Montt in the coup of August 8, 1983. So, you know, he is like literally uh, uh, marrying these kind of uh, pieces of his life, like the conversion and the mandate as president. And it comes through, too, in his presidency because he, he also had all these wild things. Like, he would often talk theologically about the mission of saving Guatemala. He would talk about um, kind of how, like, if you take care of your individual soul, the rest of society will sort itself out. Um, and I think this is one of the weirdest things, just to add one more piece from this book. She says, within days of taking office on March 23rd, Rios Montt set out the parameters of La Nueva Guatemala, or the New Guatemala, in a series of television speeches broadcast weekly on Sunday nights. These discursos del domingo were popularly known as sermons, and for good reason. The general, usually clad in civilian clothes with a Bible near at hand, and often standing beside an elaborate candelabrum, addressed his audience on a variety of political, economic, and social topics meant to establish the framework for a new Guatemala, and indeed a new Guatemalan. The discursos, while far from fidelesque in duration, a great joke, by the way, could last for an hour or more, depending on the general's frame of mind and range of vision on a given evening. While many discursos were predominantly political in nature, most also touched on family life, health, and other edifying topics. The common link in all the discursos, however, was a religious or moral subtext solidly embedded in an evangelical narrative framework. So this guy is literally like, you know, uh, a dictator televangelist. He is uh, a Pat Robertson who did win uh, the election or at least won oh, the coup. Um, he's on TV. He's holding the Bible. He's saying you got to get back to Christ. And uh, guess what? If you don't or you're still Catholic or you're an indigenous person, then uh, you're on the wrong side. We have to kill you. So there's this really kind of like scary, dark uh, and like, I don't know, strange like juxtaposition of things like on the one hand, it seems extremely funny to me, you know, like maybe that's just my like coping mechanism, <laughs> but I guess it's like <laughs> it's very funny to imagine this like weird guy who heard some Jesus freak pastor from California tell him that he's like born again. And now he's on TV, like reading the Bible to a bunch of people in Guatemala. But on the other hand, it's so horrifying because like the message is, you know, you've got to save your individual soul. And that is how we have a new Guatemala um, but that sort of soteriology also has this incredibly brutal social consequence, which is that like, if you're not on board with saving your individual soul, then like you can get wrecked, you know? So it's mm -hmm. really, really scary. And like I said, uh, 43% of all of the, uh, uh, the killings done in the 36 year war were done under his presidency. So this is the guy that Pat Robertson is a big fan of. Yeah, and, and maybe just to stress the point a bit more, right? That forty-three percent number is really is really important. But uh, in the opening of Penning Their Nose book, The People of God, there's actually a really important story that she tells. That um, she's using it in a really particular way in her book, so like she doesn't kind of get into all of the context surrounding it. But uh, the story that she opens with is a story about Guatemala in 1982, and uh, she's talking about the indigenous people who are living, you know, in in the mountains and. Um, that uh, if you were Catholic, if you were a, the story she tells specifically is about you know these Catholic catechists, people who are are, are studying for confirmation and kind of like figuring this whole thing out. But uh, if you were one of those people, you would have been a dissident. You would have been flagged by the the security forces as being a dissident, of being like anti-government because you're Catholic, right? Because um, the Bible in in those hands, and especially in this like time frame, is like subversive. So she paints a story of like a, a church in the catacombs kind of thing. 
And uh, the story that she tells is is really interesting. I mean, I don't I don't know. Apparently, no, she's a real journalist and has like some pretty journalistic chops. I don't know exactly, you know, how to cor- corroborate the story, but the story she tells is really interesting because these catechists they um, they're in this town and the army comes into the town and and tells the the village people the the indigenous people who are living there, you've got to like kill these catechists or we're going to come and like and kill everybody in the village. We're going to burn it down. Um, so that's that's the choice that the army makes them confront and the catechist and i mean a pretty um i don't know an incredible an incredible move but also extremely sad move say like to to the people in the village like yeah you should probably just kill us because you know it's either you kill us and you all live or um (laughs) or uh sorry can you still hear me dean yeah okay cool my headphone just made a weird noise oh yeah okay it's fine um, you can you can either kill us and you all live or, you know, don't kill us and then everybody dies. So anyways, the villagers end up killing the catechists. And like that's that's the conclusion of the story. Like that's the I guess it's important because like the of the of the 43 percent that Rios Mont, you know, was responsible for killing. It's like this is sort of the dynamic that I think is important. Right. It's like very much a, an anti-Catholic sentiment. <laughs> and, um, and and th- those are the lines, you know, which with the uh, conflict were drawn. Um, so uh, it's a, it's a Christian on Christian violence kind of moment. And um, again, w- w- once again, I'll just say, say it again. Uh, Pat Robertson, this is the guy he thought it was very cool. who He was, you know, all about wild. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, like I said, too, um, Rigoberta Menchu, she's the person you want to learn about if you want to get a sense of what that kind of Catholic dissident movement looked like. Um, there was, like I said, a sort of armed um, resistance, which was not completely Catholic. I mean, it's not the same as like the Sandinistas, which also wasn't completely Catholic, but maybe more direct. Um, so I don't want to overstate it. But uh, the the kind of suggestion or insinuation from Rios Montt was, if you're Catholic, you must not be with me. You're not with the, mm-hmm. the president. And if you're Catholic, then you must also be sort of open to listening to the guerrillas. And, uh, you know, it's it's like all kinds of people were killed just by virtue of guilt by association and so on, whether or not they were related to the guerrillas, but Catholicism would have tagged you. And being an indigenous or Mayan person, I should say, especially would have tagged you as being totally. kind of open to being radicalized and like yeah it's it's wild um when you read so Rigoberta Menchu she has a famous um like dialogue or interview um that is published as I Rigoberta Menchu or sometimes it's called my name is Rigoberta Menchu um there's a lot of controversy over that book specifically but uh it's a really good place to look if you want to kind of get an inside uh view of what's going on and she talks at length about uh kind of what like she was a catechist herself. So she talks a lot about what that looked like in indigenous communities and so on. Um, what's interesting about her, I don't know, this is like a weird aside, but now I'm on it. So I'm just going to follow it to the end. You got she, to. Uh, <laughs> she, she was actually outside of Guatemala during Rios Montt's presidency because she had basically been forced into exile in Mexico. And she lived in Chiapas with uh, Samuel Ruiz, the bishop who ended up being the, um, one of the, you know, mediating peacemaking people between the Zapatistas and the Mexican state. So she lived um, in that community for a while and then returned to Guatemala. So it's really fascinating because, like, it was already very bad in Guatemala and she left. Then Rios Montt became the president and she was, you know, basically dealing with her, like, trauma <laughs> and uh, also getting formed in other ways um, in Chiapas and then returned. So it's kind of like I don't know if if Rios Mont is sort of this like strange product of U.S. evangelicals infiltrating Latin America and, you know, then supporting them from abroad through people like Pat Robertson. Rigoberta Menchu is basically the complete opposite, right? She's like an indigenous Catholic in Guatemala who is supported internationally by like another Catholic in another heavily indigenized Catholic place in Mexico. So like I said, if you're feeling bummed about Pat Robertson and Rios Mont at the end of this, just uh, check out Rigoberta Menchu. She'll she'll give you something to be excited about. Uh, yep, and <laughs> you might need that kind of uplifting note after all of this. Um, all right, we've talked for about thirty minutes uh, about Rios Mont, and we're gonna keep talking about him. But uh, it, now it's it's time to introduce uh, Pat Robertson with some Pat facts. All right, so this is from an article on Right Wing Watch, uh, which is called, Pat Robertson hails Guatemalan dictator charged with genocide. 
you know, I see what this is this one's going. <laughs> at the height of the bloodshed under Rios Mont, reports put the number of killings and disappearances at more than three thousand per month. Patrick Daniels of the Guatemala Solidarity Network noted Such was the extent of the violence that in nineteen ninety nine the UN Commission concluded that it constituted acts of genocide. His regime specifically targeted indigenous communities with violence and displacement, and in twenty thirteen Rios Mont was convicted of genocide for crimes committed against the Maya. Hunger, systemic rape, and forced displacements were all used as tools of war against the Mayan people, the BBC reported. However, the conviction was overturned due to legal technicality, and Rios Mont was later declared unfit to stand for trial. Um, the article goes on to say, Today, in 2015, Robertson gushed over Rios Mont, claiming that he was the real victim because he was targeted by liberals for being a good Christian. I'm... <laughs> So I'm so mad just reading this. <laughs> Absolutely furious. Um, this is a, a quote here from uh, Pat Robertson. I know Efrain Rios Mont, who was the president there, he said. He's a terrific guy. He, he was with the El Verbo Church, and they had a marvelous government. But the left got him, and he couldn't survive. They just went after him and attacked him and attacked him. The United States State Department went after him. It was terrible. Pat Robertson, um, not a great understander of international politics. Like I, again, this is this is the uh, the axes of like, are you dumb or are you evil? And I don't, I literally don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Impossible to tell based on the uh, the data we have available to us. But uh, calling a dude who uh, literally did genocide a terrific guy is a, a wild thing to do in in literally 2015. Right? This is mm-hmm. two years after um, after 2013 after he was tried. This is. This is after it was all out. People knew who Rio Smont was in the United States because it was like a national news, uh, not national. It was like a like a global news story that he was being tried, because like you know, it's rare that like dictators actually get tried for their for their crimes against humanity. But Rio Smont did, and oh my God, Pat Robinson, what are you doing? Stop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, he has a real like sunk cost situation with Rio Smont as well because uh, he interviewed Rios Mont on the 700 Club as soon as uh, he became the general after the coup. In fact, I think that was his first interview was given to the 700 Club, or at least pretty quick after that. Um, So he was a a true believer right away. Um, There's also a lot of really weird stuff with him. Um, Like right after he was himself deposed in the coup that we mentioned earlier, because the military, the fascist military was like, this guy's too Christian. Um, they, there was this, uh, really what bizarre. If they found out I was a Jesus freak and it is the, uh, it, it, they're going to kill you. They're going to kill you right out of the government. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's why Toby Mac is not the president today. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that right after he was cooed, um, in 1984, there was this book that must've been like rush published. I don't really know the whole story around it, but it's called at uh, Efrain Rios Mont servant or dictator. The Real Story of Guatemala's Controversial Born-Again President by, uh, I don't know, these two nerds, Joseph M. Fuzo and David Chapansky. So um, that book, it came out in 1984, and Pat Robertson wrote the foreword to it. And the foreword is so weird. Like, uh, he has this kind of strange, like, I don't know, sort of trying to create some sense of distance from Rizma, but like can't seem to hold himself back because then he basically starts praising him for being like a great Christian. And uh, by the end of it, he's like, who knows? Like, we'll find out more about what the real story was soon enough. Uh, But like the whole thrust (laughs) of it is that he's like really excited that this Christian was in power. In fact, he says uh, he's talking a little bit about it. He says in this forward, Um, I knew that only God could sustain this fledgling government. The treasury of Guatemala had been depleted. Communists were attacking villages in the hills. The United States government was refusing help because of the human rights violations of the previous regime. The world's press, often leftist in orientation, was making Rios Mont out to be a pietist buffoon. The only recourse was prayer. I enlisted the prayers of tens of thousands of evangelicals across America. We urgently besought the Lord to grant physical safety to Rios Mont, and the blessing of God upon his new government. And uh, he goes on to say a lot more, but he says, uh, little by little, the miracle began to unfold. The country was stabilized. Democratic processes, never a reality in Guatemala, began to be put into place. Above all, the all-pervasive graft and corruption were eliminated, along with the terror of the death squads. So this is insane because it is like literally the opposite is true. Like the terror of the death squads was amplified like, you know, by several, several degrees. 
so much so that Rios Mont was the bloodiest of all the dictators. So, like, you know, uh, Pat Robertson is enlisting these tens of thousands of evangelicals and just actively, like, I don't know, lying or not understanding or being incapable of, like, knowing what's going on. That's what I mean, like, is he evil or stupid? It's kind of yeah. like statements like this that make me feel like he's evil, I guess, because it is so <laughs> baldly untrue that, like, there's no way that you could be that, you know, that involved on the one hand and that removed, like, in your brain on the other. But it's that's when it becomes undecidable because it's like, I don't know, maybe he just is that that badly broken in his brain. So anyway... Um, that's the forward that Pat Robertson decided to write right after Efren Riosmont was uh, deposed. I think the evangelicals really need to like come to terms with this because no, I mean, I don't know. It's not like uh, just because you were misled by Pat Robertson, like it doesn't mean that you're culpable for genocide for sure. But like, uh, <laughs> but I think what it does mean though, is that like, you know, thousands and thousands of American evangelicals were praying for uh, Riosmont and, um, and it was only God that was holding, holding the government together but then, like, he literally got cooed, like, a like a year later. So it's just like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Is your prayer working? Like, uh, how do you square all this? I would love to know. It's just so, That's true. so silly. The Evangelical Dictator Theodicy is what this should be formally named. <laughs> oh, my gosh. They should teach that in seminaries everywhere. Uh, <laughs> okay, so there you go. There's there's some stuff there about Robertson and Rios Mont. But here's some more stuff, even more fat facts for you. Um, this is from a Counterpunch article from 2005. So this is before Rios Mont was tried, um, but after people knew about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it's about, again, Pat Robertson and his particular relationship with uh, Rios Mont. And the article says, Robertson extended Christian televangelism to Central America. By the 1980s, Pat Robertson's program, The 700 Club, reached 3.1 million viewers in Guatemala. Robertson took an interest in the strife-torn Central American nation, developing warm ties to General Efrain Rios Montt, a born-again evangelical Christian. When Rios Montt took power in the military coup d'etat in March of 1982, Robertson immediately flew to Guatemala, meeting with the incoming president a scant five days after he came to power. Later, Robertson aired an interview with Rios Montt on the 700 Club and extolled the new military government. But there's more. So that's pretty bad. Like, literally five days is, is nuts. Pat Robertson, stop. <laughs> you shouldn't do this. Okay. Robertson's visit came at a particularly sensitive time. Guatemala's dirt-poor indigenous communities who made up half the country's population were suffering greatly at the hands of U.S.-funded military. The armed forces had taken over Indian land that seemed fertile for cattle exploiting or a promising site to drill for oil. Um, again, this article is going to keep using the, the word Indians, which is maybe not my preference, but that's what they do here. Those Indians who dared resist were massacred. Rios Montt, a staunch anti-communist supported by U.S. President Reagan, was determined to wipe out the Marxist URNG, the Guatemalan National Revolutionary Union rebels. However, according to Amnesty International, thousands of people with no connection to the armed struggle were killed by the regime. Not surprisingly, many Indians turned to armed resistance. To deal with the ever-worsening situation, Rios Montt proposed a so-called Guns and Beans campaign. Rios Montt explained the plan very succinctly. If you're with us, we'll feed you. If not, we'll kill you. For Robertson, however, Rios Mont's extermination policy was of little account. Astonishingly, the televangelist wrote, I found Rios Mont to be a man of humility, impeccable personal integrity, and a deep faith in Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, I, I'm laughing because I don't know what else to do in the face of something that is like so baldly <laughs> awful. There's no way that Pat Robertson at least didn't know that Rios Mont was actively threatening people on TV, right? I mean, this is a guy whose whole life is organized around being on TV and... He obviously met Rios Mont, and it's hard to imagine Rios Mont wasn't like proud of those policies as well. That's like his stated thing. It's not a secret, right? Like he's saying it all over the place, uh, and that's what always leads me to feel like I feel like on the on the big meter of evil or stupid, Pat Robertson leans more toward the evil side because he has to have heard that stuff and found some way of dismissing it or not caring about it. And like you said, even after it it has all come to light, everybody knows about it. Still in 2015, he's been charged with genocide. Pat Robertson's like, I think he's a great Christian, and it's all those dang leftists who are spreading whatever they want about it. Um, that's the big <laughs> problem. Like, I feel like you have to be, you know, like the whole point is that Robertson would say that they were close, that he knew uh, Rios Mont really well. So, like, I don't know, maybe <laughs> maybe he didn't know him that well or something, but the, the irony is, like, for that to be true, there's no way that he could have missed that. Mm-hmm. Totally. Well, 
I, I think that question, like, what is going on in Pat Robertson's brain is one that we can probably never know solidly. But here's one hypothesis to why this particular relationship was important to Pat Robertson and also what he was doing in all of this and, and maybe why he would overlook it. Because, like you said, pretty hard to miss. Um the Counterpunch article goes on to say, one reason that Rios Montt may have appealed to Robertson was the dictator's dislike of Catholic priests. In the 1980s, they had become an obstacle to the expansion of evangelical Protestantism. Working within indigenous communities, Catholic priests had been driven out or murdered. Protestant sects, on the other hand, allied to the Guatemalan military. They preached individual conversion, the importance of obedience to military and political authority, the merits of capitalism, and the value of inequality. Rios Mont's own Church of the Word went so far as to define priests and nuns as the enemy. According to Walter Lefebvre, a historian of Central America, three priests were killed within a 36-month period in just one province. With the Catholic Church out of the way, Rios Mont conducted a scorched-earth policy. His forces massacred as many as 15,000 indigenous people. We can't know the inner workings of someone like Pat Robinson's brain, and maybe we don't even really want to. But um, this is a pretty strong hypothesis to me, right? Like, if Pat Robertson is actually internally a nihilist and, like, really only cares about people watching the 700 Club, which I think is a pretty good hypothesis, um, uh, having a dictator in Guatemala, a place that is, you know, where evangelicalism, like, is maybe growing or taking hold or there's already, like, an investment of evangelical infrastructure, um, it makes sense if uh, this this guy is going to, like, oust Catholics and persecute Catholics into the ground, um, literally, so that uh, more people watch this TV show. I mean, I don't know. It's uh, it's bleak, right? That's a, a very bleak hypothesis that it's just, like, that, that Pat Robertson is, like, so completely <laughs> um, devoid of any sort of moral character. But I don't know. It doesn't seem like that much of a stretch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just finished watching Succession, and I feel like uh, this guy's worse than Logan Roy could ever be. Um, <laughs> just a very spooky, scary guy altogether. Um, the other kind of weird juxtaposition with all that, too, all that violence, is even the way that evangelicalism um, encourages you to talk about things that you do or campaigns that you run. And what I'm thinking about in particular is uh, when Robertson was doing fundraising, he had this telethon for the Guatemalan military, which is insane. Um, and the uh, the name of the campaign was International Love Lift, which was related to Rios Montt's uh, relief program linked to Gospel Outreach, which was the, the U.S. connection. Um, and, uh, the article that I was just reading from goes on to say Robertson's Christian broadcasting network reportedly sponsored a campaign to provide money as well as agricultural medical technicians to aid in the design of Rios Mott's first model villages. Uh, so it's just like, I don't know, calling something like, uh, you know, your international love lift or, uh, doing these like telethons for like literal fascists is so weird because evangelicalism also relies on all this infantilizing kind of rhetoric and you know it sounds I, the the way they brand it is always in these kind of sweet mm. ways or it's like like world world vision or whatever and instead of getting like a picture of a goat or something that you bought for a kid you're just like literally you know contributing to like the genocide of indigenous peoples in guatemala totally and, i don't know yeah pat robertson is telling you that's fine exactly pat robertson is doing a telethon to raise money for you know rios mont and like building these villages or whatever but like meanwhile Rios Mont is like deploying death squads to like murder indigenous people and like burn their houses down. And I don't know that connection. It, I guess it's like, you know, we had that, we had the conversation not too long ago about uh, religious fundamentalism and like the radicalization of the right in, in Latin America. And I guess like this is an important story within that same realm because I mean, it's exactly what's happening, but I think it's, it's important because it makes that link really clear, right? That there are Christians in the United States who are specifically supporting this particular type of like re religious expression because it can be so easily weaponized against uh, things that the United States just like, doesn't like. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I don't, I don't want to say that like <laughs> evangelical Christianity is a psyop in Latin America, but it does look that way in some in some I mean, capacity. I'll say it because in many cases it literally <laughs> is like that just is what it is. Like you know, we've we've talked about in Cuba, for example. You know, Echo Cuba is like a USAID funded project by a Cuban expat that is designed to basically run like homophobic opposition to the government. Like that is just literally, it's what it does, you know, like it's not to say that every evangelical in Latin America is on board with that program or that it's like 
evangelicals maybe don't have their own motivation for for doing that, but it's not accidental. Like the U.S. government understands that it is an asset to them to spread that kind of thing and to disrupt the the links to solidarity between Catholics and and others in the region. I think that is important to mention. Like there is a real political angle to it. Pat Robertson was also close to Ronald Reagan. You know, like these are all kind of. I don't know, people passing around the same documents about what's going on. Like, it's just, it's bad stuff. Um, it is important to mention that there's uh, complexity among evangelicalism in Latin America. There are often progressive evangelicals who uh, who do ally with liberation people and forces. And I think that is also incredibly unique and undertold and important to not lose sight of. But you know, it's like this is a tried and true method for um, for accomplishing violent ends in Latin America, like get an evangelical in power, um, raise a bunch of money among evangelicals or kind of private sectors in places like the U.S. and funnel it. And like it wasn't just Guatemala, like they uh, Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson and Jim Baker, they would also tour around Latin America and hang out with other dictators in other countries um, that comes out a little bit in Penny Lerno's work as well. So, you know, they they had a habit of doing this. And I think there's there's a, an important confluence of like U.S. imperialism and, you know, the the cynical ends of like evangelical televangelists. Dean, what's your takeaway? Right. Pat Robertson, he's <laughs> dead. And I'm not upset about it. Uh, what what do you think this says about the I don't know, the legacy of Pat Robertson? What what do we take away from this whole episode? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think that he is an important person for people to understand and to like understand too the gravity and depth of the kind of violence that he brought into the world. Because even in the, uh, you know, the obituaries of him going around, I mean, a lot of people rightly have called attention to this. So I think that's good. Like, there is a sense that public memory is like, willing to, you know, bury Pat Robertson in in his own shit, and that's important. Um, but on the whole, it's like, you know, Christians are always anxious, I think, about, like, saying something bad about anybody, especially another Christian. And it's like, maybe, it, like, it would have been great if Pat Robertson had this conversion moment at the end of his life, and he was like, that's all bad, and he came to Jesus or whatever. But, like, he probably didn't. <laughs> it doesn't seem like he did do that. <laughs> And that is not my fault, <laughs> you know, and I think it's important to recognize how violent Christianity really can be and to name that as Christians, too, to be like, that's very bad. Pat Robertson is on the side of the enemy and he chose he made that choice in his life. And that sucks. It sucks for him. And it sucks even more for the tens of thousands of people who have literally been murdered because he, you know, raised money for the bullets that killed them like. Pat Robertson has blood on his hands and I don't know, like whatever happens after you die, I do think he's going to have to answer for that. All right. There you have it, folks. Dean's got it. Dean's got to figure it figured out. And I agree. <laughs> Dean's, he's right. Yeah, that's right. You know, maybe one last thing though. Uh, now I'm just like on a roll thinking about how bad evangelicals <laughs> are. Um, I think like the other piece too is to like, so we've zeroed in on this one story of Rios Mont in the 1980s, but this is something that is repeated in, in our own time, like in very recent history, you know, like Bolsonaro, he was elected on a wave of evangelical voters and uh, it was a similar kind of thing. You, you saw evangelicals lining up to support Bolsonaro along with the bourgeoisie, you know, lots of Christian publications were like open to Bolsonaro and his government um, you see that huge force in Brazil for sure. Um, like I mentioned a minute ago, there's a, a concerted effort among the U.S. government to bolster evangelicals in Cuba specifically to try to, uh, I don't know, cause problems arbitrarily, you know, just create issues and so on. Um, you saw the same thing in Bolivia, like uh, Janine Añez, the coup leader um, or coup president at the time. You know, she was talking about how uh, they were bringing the Bible back into the palace and so on. So it's like these kinds of um, political uses of evangelicalism and their affinities with U.S. evangelicalism are like still around and still blocking attempts to uh, to actually create a just society in places like Latin America. So just to like point out maybe that this this event is, I don't know, whatever, 40 years ago or something, but it's it's still with us like they're still trying it and all the more reason for Christians to be super vigilant and trying to dismantle that theology in the global north because uh, 
it does make its way down there in in very murderous kind of ways. Yeah, I think that's right. You know, you you, you said a minute ago too. A minute ago, you said kind of at the beginning of this episode that uh, you know Pat Robertson he had a failed presidential run, uh, but this is the guy who succeeded. And it, I think that's actually maybe a it's a funny thing that you said, but it's also maybe true in a lot of different ways in the United States that there are you know this emerging sort of like group of Christian nationalists or whatever. And I'm not saying they're all like Rios Mont or whatever, but they aren't dissimilar, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that uh, this is maybe what uh, this is what a, a particular type of evangelical politics looks like in practice, and uh, you don't want it. Tell your friends. Tell your parents. It's bad. <laughs> That's right. So don't donate to the 700 Club. Uh, don't even donate to the 420 Club unless somebody else starts that podcast, in which case you, you can donate to probably them. That's could. probably fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not going to do a TV televangelistic uh, marathon because I don't know what you're going to do with that kind of money. And I'm smarter than Pat Robertson. But, uh, you know, you can make your own decision for sure. And maybe we'll use that to support uh, not a left wing paramilitary, but maybe like, you know, a few more pizzas. Um, I think that would be fine. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Magnificast. If you support us at any level, you get a great invite to our behind the paywall, super secret Discord channel where we're talking about unions. We're talking about cats. We're posting pictures of Kirby, and it's great. We love it. Um, and you will too. So get on in there. Um, you can also get access to a behind the paywall podcast called The Lock In. That we do once a month or so, and uh, sometimes there's an early episode even there for you. So that's all great. You should support us, or don't. It's fine, too. Our intro music is by Amari Armstrong. Our outro music is by The Illogical Spoon. And we'll see you next week. I don't want to get up for church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation Never get tired, never bored Don't worry, someday There'll be no dam between us and our Lord Jackson, keep your hoods up Keep your hoods up And you stay up late Jackson, keep your hoods up Well, you keep your hoods up and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon. So come on now, it's still early. At least I.